Welcome to Talking Events, brought to you by Event Industry News. I'm Graham Brown here, stepping in for James Dixon uh, today to talk about um, live events and the environment and the interaction thereof. And I'd like to introduce to you uh, today Mr. Will Richardson from Green Element, uh, who, having completed a master's degree back in 2004, set up Green Element, uh, an envir- environmental management company, which in 2011 started becoming involved in really the sporting industry yeah. mainly. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe you'd like to tell us a little bit about uh, Green Element and what, how it operates, what it does. So we're an environmental management consultancy that help um, small to big corporates become environmental, reducing their environmental impact. We, I think, have we're trying to have a strong an ethos from a social responsibility point of view, but also trying to reduce our own impact as much as we can, and then helping other people with that. So one day a month. Any full-time employee can work for a um, charity of their choice. We try and give as many days on top of that to working with charities. I believe very strongly that if we keep our own operational costs down, then we can help as much and as many people um, and charities around us as much as we can. By doing that, we really only employ environmentalists, I guess, but they have to have some kind of acumen towards the business and are able to reduce energy and reduce environmental impact to any company we work with. Sure, yeah, that sounds great. And uh, to your right, we have uh, Mr. Chris Johnson, uh, co-founder and chair of industry Think Do Tank. Uh, powerful thinking. Also, festival organizer uh, at Shambhala, and an associate for festivals and events with Julie's Bicycle, uh, which is uh, an environmental organisation. Uh, Chris, do you just want to a little bit talk through your relationship with um, the environment and events and how you've come to be involved and what you do? Sure. Well, the, the journey starts with uh, Shambhala and a bunch of young lads at college, really, in a field having, having some fun. And uh, 15 y- years later, we've survived as a, as a business partnership and as a successful festival in the industry. Um, through that experience uh, and our personal commitment to the environment, we have had the opportunity to explore uh, all the ways in which we can improve our environmental performance and use the opportunity as a festival to communicate with our audience about changes we can make uh, towards a positive future in our daily lives. Uh, so that has led us to join with other festivals and industry associations to um, work together on environmental impacts in the industry. Around five years ago in Bristol, um, ourselves as Cambay Events, which is the company behind Shambhala, and Julie's Bicycle uh, held a symposium which brought together about 50 festivals and specifically energy providers in the industry. And we wanted to have a conversation about our aspirations around energy, um, the issues we shared and how we might move forward. And we didn't necessarily expect that conversation to endure, but out of that came a commitment in the industry uh, to form a working group, which is now Powerful Thinking. Uh, we're a think-do tank uh, because we don't just think and research and offer information. We want to do something about it, and uh, it has become perhaps the industry's voice uh, for, or one of the industry's strong voices for environmental action um, amongst the members. We represent 257 festivals, that's really AIF and the AFO and NOAA uh, are currently considering joining. Um, We've also got the Production Services Association 
uh, NCAS, Julie's Bicycle, as one of the founders, Festival Republic as one of the founders and a huge supporter, Bestival, our own company, and a, a host of other uh, organisations that have contributed along the way, like a Greener Festival and De Montford University. Uh, so over the last five years, we've been concentrating on energy management specifically, um, working with De Montford University particularly to research where the opportunities to reduce energy are, um, and providing a website, resources, case studies, the power behind festivals guide so that we can work with industry to find ways to reduce impacts. Um, and I'm also the associate, as you say, for festivals and events with Julie's Bicycle. Um, Julie's Bicycle is the uh, leading charity, really, working with the creative and arts and cultural sector at large uh, around environmental performance. Fantastic. Uh, it's the one of the things that there's obviously with the, the live events market, it is um, very much run by a, a, a group of kind of should we say creative people who aren't necessarily joined up and talking to each other so so to have achieved 257 festivals out of the probably i don't know 1200 that go on across the, the country uh, through the year is, is is a great start and you've been going for five years on on that mm. and obviously you're you're seeing where you where you're taking that now chris is towards uh the introduction of um a, a new document that i know you've been working on and are about to launch in fact as this podcast pa- cast goes live it may in fact be already out and I think uh, it'll be coming out I think it'll be timed about that mm. so so maybe um, in terms of that kind of potentially very disparate festival industry uh, what's what's your mm. view on uh, you know producing a document and getting that to the marketplace what are you hoping to achieve with this I guess if I can take a, a step back in terms of your comment around um, the industry yes it's it's an industry uh, of uh, very varied festivals, varied size, uh, varied geographically, of course, uh, and it is like it's very difficult to bring everyone together. So it, we are proud that we've brought people around the table, but we also should should caveat the fact that we have representation from 257 festivals. Uh, but of course, as all membership organisations find, uh, having c- consistent communication with all those organisations is different, and we couldn't say that each of those festivals is active with us, Um, but we are finding that there's movement and commitment. Um, In May 2015, uh, we did a survey to try and interrogate attitudes, aspirations and current practice in the industry, and we had 47 festivals respond, which we were very pleased with. Um, And that showed us that there is a tangible move towards uh, wanting to take action and that the majority of festivals taking part in that survey, uh, over 80% of them, uh, want to work industry-wide and want to work towards and within industry standards which which, uh, don't currently exist beyond some of the certifications that Will may talk about. Um, So really the report, the show must go on, um, attempts to, for the first time in the festival industry, we're talking specifically about summer festivals here, one segment of the events industry, it looks at our industry's impacts as a whole in detail for the first time. We haven't had such good data. We've been working with Julie's Bicycle and their online industry green tools, which is a carbon calculator tool, which um, quite a few festivals have been using for many years now. So we feel like for the first time we've got a decent data set uh, to really look at industry impacts. And what we've done with the report is we've taken those impacts. We've looked at where we think we need to be. Um, 
which uh, the best proxy we've found is the UK Climate Change 2008 Legally Binding Targets, uh, which commits us nationally to reducing carbon, well, greenhouse gas emissions um, by 50% by 2025. So we've, we've, we've taken what the science is saying, we've taken what we know about industry impacts, we've taken the targets, and we've started to suggest um, what the festival industry can do to meet those targets over the next 10 years with examples of what certain leading festivals are doing at this point in time. So I guess you're, you're hoping that through, through this document that this, this really makes it very easy for uh, a festival organiser and their, 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 their organisation to look at, at really what their responsibilities are and what they can actually do in real terms around their festival. Yeah, well, the document has been timed deliberately as a response and to pick up the mood of the global climate change talks, COP21, which is happening in Paris in December. Um, it's high time, in my opinion, that the industry got together um, to develop a vision uh, and work together to provide the resources and agree standards so that we've, we've got more clarity on how we can make positive changes. Uh, and of course, we could all make changes individually. Um, and there are lots of examples of festivals that are doing very positive things, but I think uh, having a vision as an industry uh, and working together will be far more effective. Uh, one of the things that the manifesto survey highlighted um, was that there's a lack of clarity in terms of what the best, uh, best ways of reducing impacts are. There's a lot of confusion around waste and standards. Um, and festival organisers uh, essentially were saying, look, we need more expertise. Um, we we uh, fear cost increases, um, what it will means for our capacity as organisations. We all know festival organisers are exceptionally busy people and, and that is why environmental practice tends to uh, not be prioritised. Um, so this report attempts to address that. We wanted to look at impacts, we wanted to look at what we can do, we wanted to bring the industry together and the report ends with effectively a call to action. Um, we've called it Vision 2025 and we're hoping that the report uh, motivates 100 festivals to sign up to a pledge, a meaningful pledge, uh, to follow this roadmap which would bring our industry to a point where it's actively taking a positive role in climate change. And you're making it easier for them by doing that, aren't you? By putting that roadmap in. Yes, um, and, in, and, and in that way, because um, this, this piece of work itself is, is excuse me, <coughs> <coughs> this piece of work itself is, 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 is effectively crowdsourced from the industry, so mm. it's been, the aspirations have de been defined by industry surveys. Um, Powerful Thinking um, has widely consulted um, and worked with many partners to develop it, so it's, 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 it's a vision which has been created by the industry for the industry as it stands, um, but it's a nucleus of committed organisations who are effectively reaching out to the industry as a whole to say, let's do this together. Yeah, sure. Will, if I can just bring you in on, yeah. on a couple of, couple of things there, but um, um, was we, we were talking earlier about standards, and I know obviously uh, with you working across lots of different industry mm. sectors, uh, and obviously you've got a lot of experience in the lives sector, with uh, particularly in the sports market, and you're hearing Chris talking about the festivals, and mm. you can, I, I can, having been around festival and sporting both sectors, I, I'm, I'm kind of aware that the, the, the festival the festival organisers sort of sometimes tend to shy away or be a bit nervous of 
ISO government kind of standards mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think you can hear that in what Chris is saying almost. It's like we need to produce some our own festival roadmap for people to follow. From your experience of working uh, in live sporting events in the UK, how, how, how have you found the implementation and, and the relevance of uh, sort of the, the, the standards? It's funny, I was listening to Chris talk about um, implementing almost a bespoke standard for festivals and it makes complete sense because you know your industry, you know exactly what you need and you know how to do it. But what you end up with by having lots of individual standards, and this has almost come out from the ISO 2012-1, be it almost the same as ISO 14001, it confuses the market. What do I go for? What do I need? But everything you've been talking about within the festivals tie very much into ISO 2012-1 and 14001. The problem is, is that people get, quite rightly, get confused with the 14001 standard because it is quite wordy, it's quite, people think that it's quite document heavy, they think they need to have this document control procedure, that operational control procedure, and actually you don't. It ties in everything you've said, Mm. I can relate to it, but I totally get why you were saying what you were saying at the same time. And it, I guess it's trying to get a uniformity across. And my, my, one of my big worries is that we are going to end up with lots of standards. And if you want to green up your event or your festival or your company, what do you go for? Oh, 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 there's quite a few out there. That, and therefore, oh, I can't be bothered because actually it's just not going to do anything. Mm. And one of my big things is trying to tie and bring and make things easy for you because at the end of the day if you do 14001 in the spirit of 14001 you are making your event festival company more environmental and it's as simple it really is as simple as that which is why i can see i I I think i think the sporting industry has possibly got it has just a little bit more money than the the, 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 than the, the live festival market so and of course, having had that huge injection of kind of income around the Olympics and then the ensuing Commonwealth Games, and uh, and uh, you know there there are some there's some high income sort of uh, drivers that have possibly fed fed the sporting sector mm. to be slightly ahead. From your experiences, say working within the sporting sector, um, I would imagine when you started in 2011, companies were pretty resistant themselves yeah. to be it was driven by the olympics it was driven by a sporting governing committee that wanted to drive standards down through to the companies and through the supply chain so yeah there was an enormous amount of reticence towards wanting to get a standard but with anything it you've start small and end up going growing really and the fact that we're talking now and we're in the same room talking about environmental stuff means that that conversation is growing and it is going to become better and better yeah sure, sure. i mean the, the the contribution of i say 2012 one to the industry at large is is it is significant and what we found in the festival market is there have been there's been almost no take up no. of that in fact when you look at the different um certifications and schemes um, less than 5% of festivals have participated in anything formal in terms of accreditation around environmental performance. So the report doesn't um, advocate any particular um, certification or accreditation. I think that's up to the organisation. But what we do advocate is um, clarity on 
which environmental impacts we should focus on, um, what our targets might be in terms of reductions, and how we might achieve those. So, yeah. so maybe maybe we can talk through some of some of that, you know. Sort of, and, and again, with both of you, I'm maybe start with Will kind of mm. thing. And you can can you just talk us through the kind of uh, reductions and the the impact that you've managed to that you would say was mm. has been successful in the in the sporting sector and how you or who you've done that with, what you've done. Yeah, so we work very closely with a company called Arena Group. Um, Arena are one of the main contractors for um, Ryder Cup, the um, Cheltenham races. Um, a number of other sporting events. Indeed, event industry news have covered lots of uh, <laughs> a lot, lot, lots of their, uh, their, their their sporting events. So it's kind of yeah. And they had to get ISO twenty twelve one. It's because of the Olympics. They have embraced that. They brought an external environmental management consultancy on in order to help them through the process. And what three four years later, we're still working with them they have realized that we can look at not just the impact that they have within their offices, but we've looked at, um, say, take Ryder Cup 2014, for instance. We were able to reduce the amount of um, carpet, lino, and astroturf going off to landfill by giving it to local Cub Scouts, giving it to local charities, giving it to local people, and orchestrating a reuse within that event and then using that same way of doing it that we did for Ryder Cup 2014 and lots of their other events and rather than say hundreds hundreds of tons going to landfill we've able to 20 10 tons will go to landfill the rest of it is actually used by local charities and these local charities I what I could not believe was that they were crying out for it. They were just going, oh my God, this, is, we, this will help us be able to carpet our village hall. This will be able to... Um, so schools were taking the AstroTurf for their pitches. The, you know, I, didn't, I actually didn't. It's actually quite scary that we were chucking so much to landfill when it was needed by so many people. And it really was needed by so many people. It was... Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. And that from is environmental the fact that you're reusing yes sure yeah so it's, it's a significant difference mm. and you've seen that continue continue and, and and become part of the culture of that of, of the arena group yeah yeah so, which then becomes a habit mm. and then mm. other other sporting organizations oh. yeah what's really nice is arena are now being held up as a um industry leader by a lot of these sporting events and they are want these sporting events are now looking at arena going okay fine look at what they're doing can you other people do it please because actually they're doing it on the same cost that you're doing it on so why aren't you doing it and it's pushing that and it's for me it's pushing boundaries it's pushing what can we do what can we do better what can we we could be environmental managers just making sure that um things have got buns on as in buns are the um oil receptacle things that anyway whatever um <laughs> but it's just pushing those boundaries trying to make companies more environmental yeah and i guess that's what you're trying to do as well chris is push push the boundaries of the way people think the habits they've got and the so maybe, maybe we can sort of just talk through a few of the areas that that your that your new report uh, the show is gone is going is is dealing with um you know and obviously if people having heard this want to go and download it they'll be able we'll, 
there'll be a link from uh, the website of industry news where they, they're going to be able to do that but so some of the key areas within live events that, that you've identified that are going to be the significant game changes between now and 2025 uh, I suppose we could start with maybe you know uh, waste management waste. being a great one yeah. you just started <clears throat> talked about it there a little bit in the sporting environment reuse being a classical thing waste at festivals is well you've got some figures from where we are at the moment I think Chris and maybe just talk through what you've done at Shambhala, what you'd like to see the industry habits changing towards. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a good example from Will just there, because if you look at the waste, the European waste hierarchy, which is the, the sort of holy grail of how to treat waste, um, it's prevention, of course, using less in the first place, reuse comes next, recycling energy to waste actually comes sort of pretty close to landfill in most <laughs> cases. Uh, there's, a, there's a raging debate in the waste industry because... The focus has been on zero waste to landfill, which is not um, not necessarily a, a bad thing, but it masks the move towards energy mm. from waste, which is uh, quite low down the hierarchy of, of how we can best deal with waste. Uh, that's, that's a little bugbear of mine. In terms of waste in the industry, we did, we did pull a few figures together. Um, it looks like uh, there's festival industry and I qualify that as kind of summer fest summer camping festival specifically uh, to which about 3.17 million people go annually um, produces about 23,500 tons of waste uh, of which from Julie's bicycle data and we have to uh, bear in mind that the this data is from those festivals who are already showing some commitment towards environmental practice but they're recycling an average of 32% and 68% is going to landfill um, I've been having some very interesting uh, conversations over the last year with some of the bigger waste contractors in the industry um, and with festivals who report sort of recycling figures of sort of 80%. Um, our own research at Shambhala suggests that 65% of waste on our festival site is recyclable. That how you would recycle 80% is, 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 is something that I'm sort of keen to, um, to look at really. Um, but Just tell the truth, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not. I mean, the, the it, waste management is, is again. It's kind of depends where you are in the country. Depends because mm. there's, there's not a there's not a, a national standard for what what you're going to do with your cardboard, your plastics. Yeah, it's kind of changes from, and that's that's another hard thing. Is that uncertainty of can we recycle plastics and metals and, t and yeah. cardboards and papers here or. Or is, or is it? Are we going to recycle it and then the, and then the local waste company are going to go and tip it all in one big hole anyway? It's it's that kind of what 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 is happening to it? It's it's a it's a national problem that really is. Mm. It's not just not just events. That's that's society as a whole. Isn't yeah. It? The um, and it's slightly controversial, but I would say that the larger waste companies are probably not as good in my experience as the medium sized waste companies. So you'll get the family run firms that are that are able to service a number of companies they will do and go above and beyond for you to reduce that waste and they will work with you on that journey you have a na massive company they're less likely to because all they want is they've got to feed that landfill they've got to feed that incineration plant they've got to and they have targets they've got to achieve and it's it's a happy medium isn't it it's working with i don't know working with waste companies and it's just getting everyone to work together on one continual journey. If we're, um, uh, 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 I, in terms of uh, an approach to uh, supporting change in practice in the industry, um, I always 
work hard to maintain a pragmatic approach in terms of if we look at waste specifically um, I recognize that from a contractor's perspective um, uh, that they're, uh, the clients are judging them on and, and the tenders are being judged on cost um, mm. so really the festival organizers have to commit um, to a different way of doing things um, uh, and again uh, the absence of sort of of, of standards which there is awareness about and have been adopted in the festival industry is a problem and that was highlighted from festival organisers in the manifesto but there are standards um, we we have standard labelling Will do you can you remind me what the through wrap through wrap um, so which Sorry, has, what's which you just explain what wrap is because in the festival world it's kind of a Kanye, Kanye West wonderful I love acronyms <laughs> waste recycling I, I had oh. WRAP on the spot. Sorry, I've, I, no. You know what? I've not. I don't mind at all. I teach yeah. a number of masters courses, and I am continuously being brought up by the fact that I don't know what any acronym <laughs> is, and I'm like, yeah, that. <laughs> Here we go. But so it's um, in, a, in a nutshell, it, it's it's um, uh, in order to manage waste nationally or in term at a festival on the ground in terms of which bin. De- people put things in uh, it'll be hugely helpful um, for festivals to mirror uh, the national colors and symbols so that it becomes intuitive mm-hmm. you know you go to a festival in Germany and um, it, it's so culturally embedded that people recycle and how and which which colors relate to which materials in which bins etc that people just do it without thinking yeah we're not quite there yet in this country and actually I would encourage waste management companies across the board uh, to adopt those standards and and it will, it, if we all do it together, it will mm. change the culture and audience behavior and it will make recycling very easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To- I compl- we were talking about exactly the same thing before we started this. Exactly, yeah, completely. It <laughs> sounds so common sense that it'll never happen. It? <laughs> 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 it'll happen, we'll make it happen. That's, the, that's what this is all about. Um, you started off looking at energy management as the core of what, what was driving you. Uh, and it's um, it's 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 still very very much a part of how events can reduce their their carbon footprint because obviously all of these sporting events festivals they're in green fields they're running on they're running on temporary fuels very often diesel generators are driving on most festivals these days and likewise most sporting events like the mm. Ryder Cup are running on the same jennies that probably mm. running Glastonbury or Shambhala so yeah. so in terms of where we. How the industry as a, as a whole can do that? I mean, what's what, what's your what's your thinking on weight, on energy management and, and and fuel management, Chris? That's one area that that we've been quite successful with with Shambhala. Over over three years, we transitioned between uh, being powered by 100% diesel uh, through a, fl- a fleet of generators, as is the industry standard, um, to being 100% renewable. Um, we also reduced the amount of fuel use on site by 30%. Um, and we didn't increase costs in the process. In fact, we've, we've saved costs. Um, it, it might seem obvious you, that you, if you use less fuel, you pay less. <laughs> but um, yeah. when we first started uh, really getting under the skin of the issues in the industry, what we'd realised is that the business model and the relationship between festival organisers and pa- temporary power providers hadn't changed for two decades. And of course, if, if a profit model is based on the amount of equipment and or the amount of fuel then there isn't necessarily a driver or an incentive uh, for the industry to really attack efficiency. And, and you know, the average festival organiser isn't technically proficient 
uh, and, and doesn't know the language around power. And the fear of a stage going down uh, means that, uh, that it hasn't been tackled. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've, we've made huge progress uh, collectively as an industry over the last sort of five years. And now we're seeing uh, a number of suppliers that are offering very good green solutions. Uh, we, we work with Firefly at Shambhala, uh, and they've hybridized the entire site, which is essentially it's uh, batteries, waste vegetable oil fueled generators and solar arrays integrated. It means that we can switch off the generators in some parts of the site for most of the most of the duration of the festival. Um, it's hugely efficient and proven. You know, now that we're moving towards more LED technology, um, Festoon is, is 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 becoming LED more commonly. Um, and, and stage lighting is moving in that direction. Of course, you reduce the demand, you reduce the amount of kit you need. I mean, we could, I could, I could talk for hours on this. Um, you did a lot of work on the um, <laughs> capacity of um, generators as well, not being, a lot of them are used 25% and under as well. One, one of the studies that was done by De Montfort University, um, which looked at uh, eight, gener eight generators, so it's a relatively small study, but it did find out of those eight data sets that some of the generators, uh, well, nearly all of the generators uh, were operating below 25% of capacity for some of the time. Uh, and a number of them were operating below 25% capacity for the whole time. So even, even when the, the uh, demand on the generator was peaking, uh, it wasn't touching the sides. But... Um, I went to a presentation at ADE Green, a conference in Amsterdam last week, where Rob Scully from Glastonbury uh, presented, and, and they've done the most comprehensive energy monitoring project that I'm aware of to date, sort yeah. of globally. A very impressive piece of work in partnership with uh, UWE, University yeah. of West England, um, and as part of the Bristol European Green Capital 2015 funding. Um, but their uh, findings uh, seem to suggest that... Uh, that what we found at festivals and through smaller research projects over the last five years, it is routine for generators to be uh, perhaps double or at least significantly oversized for their purpose. So there's, there's huge uh, changes we can make um, without taking risks and which represent cost savings. Mm. It's funny, it's listening to you. I can just think, I'm thinking of the events and I'm thinking of the sporting events going, oh my God, we could learn so much from those studies and then just taking them onto ice rinks for instance arena work a lot with building and implementing ice rinks across the uk around christmas time and one of the studies that we'll be doing is looking at um fuel usage and doing similar studies and it'll be interesting to see the tie-in and we the WEES come across exactly the same as what you're finding in your industry and it's everyone can learn off each other on what it is and getting a uniformity and, share, and sharing the news about this, the new technologies that, that are available, the, you know, how to measure your energy use, what you can do in terms of, but also the new, the, the whole thing with the fuel, you know, I mean, I, I've been in and around biodiesel now for about, well, they did that Live Earth, when was Live Earth, Chris, that was, remember that one? But it was, the, that, that was run on, that was run on biodiesel, wasn't it, that came yeah. out of South Wales, da, 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 but, but it's been around the industry, there's been a lot of fuel companies just saying, a lot of diesel companies, sorry, that I've, talk to say no no we wouldn't we wouldn't put it in our machines we're not going to do this we're not going to do that but actually the fuels the fuels being developed better the machines are, are now being developed to do that you've also got the solar hybridization battery sort of thing i saw i saw a great battery sort of solar thing last last the end this autumn that would 
you know so the, the technology's moving on isn't it i mean what's your take on the fuel the fuel thing with what you found uh, in terms of biodiesel if you've used it at shambhala and um i mean there was there, there were certain issues um uh, around fuel quality as you alluded to in the early days of of biofuels um it's not the case now there are english standards like there are for any other fuel uh, i haven't been aware of any sort of quality standards um, the problem for temporary power providers has often been that they do use that type of fuel. It, it um, renders the manufacturer's warranty invalid, <laughs> um, which, which has been a sticking point. So it's generally been the small or medium-sized companies that, uh, that have been pre- either pre- prepared to work with certain manufacturers on that or, or they just take, take the risk. It hasn't seemingly been a huge risk. Um, how many years have you been running on bio, biofuel? Uh, we've, we're up to year four now as a festival of 15,000 on waste, vegetable, or biofuel across the board without so problems. Firefly, Firefly would be identifying if their machines were going down by now, wouldn't they, after four years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <it's> like <laughs> yeah. So chances are they've, they've, they have yeah. got the, the technology is coming through now then. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it works. That, you know, that, 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 that um, argument's kind of been won in terms of... Um, if you source good quality biofuel, it's, it's not a problem. Of course, uh, when the government made that huge gaffe three years ago and came out saying uh, we uh, are putting 5% targets for biofuels onto um, all fuels sold at the pump um, and then quickly recoiled, it was because biofuels, of course, are one of the causes of uh, deforestation, which is a, a terrible idea, especially if you're transporting the fuel uh, from other continents. So what what we're always careful to say is Recycled waste vegetable oil biofuel is a good thing, but virgin biofuel is, is, is arguably worse than using diesel. But we also say that you should really concentrate on uh, reducing your energy consumption in the first place. And one of the other one of the key issues, of course, is that uh, down the chain, everybody uh, indemnifies themselves from risk by saying uh, that they need more than they actually need. Uh, and in many cases, people don't even know what they need in the first place. Mm. You know, we've got used to the language of, uh, I need a 32 amp or a 16 amp. But um, So what, what we found at Shambhala is that we've, we've, we've made it the responsibility of the contractor to actually contact every single end user across the festival, that's traders and PA companies and infrastructure providers, and say, okay, don't tell us what feed you need. What are you actually using? And the amount of generated capacity we ha- we are required to put in is dramatically less. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking a different approach to it. That's yes. Yeah. Good. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna draw that first part of the conversation to a close now, and uh, we're gonna be back next week with part two. So, uh, Will, Chris, for the time being, thank you very much, and we'll be back with part two uh, on uh, of talking events next week. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.